Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 2, verse 52, within God's Word. Luke 2, 52, in God's Word this morning. Amen. So appreciate you being here this morning. What a beautiful, beautiful uh, attendance throughout the morning. The only place I see some blanks are in this third service this morning. My two early morning services jammed full. We'll see if they're that way once January hits. My, my, my. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Do you remember what you wore? Do you remember what you wore in high school? Hmm? Did you have to wear what mommy made you wear? Or were you able to wear what the kids wore at school? Your pastor had to wear what mommy made him wear. If you wonder why I'm a little formal, it's not just because I pastor Italians. It's because a mommy dearest. Anytime we went out to a nice restaurant, coat and a tie. Anytime we flew on a plane, coat and a tie in my generation. Yeah. Up until ninth grade, I had to wear either dark navy blue or black dress pants to school, black polished shoes, and always a nice formal long-sleeved shirt to school. Mom didn't force me to wear a tie or a blazer, thank God. But the 10th, my 10th grade year, which for me was my first entrance, my first year in high school, mom got born again. She let me wear what the other guys at school were wearing. We went to Kmart. Hallelujah. The K in Kmart stood for Christmart. There mom bought me the biggest, baddest, foot-stomping brown leather boots. I was able to buy Levi blue bell-bottom jeans. The bell-bottoms of these bell-bottoms were so big. You could hear me coming as I was walking. I almost could set a fire going by the way I walked. Those flaps so hard and fast. I had a wide white leather belt. I had a flower shirt with the biggest, baddest, wide collars. I felt like John Travolta in Saturday Night Fever walking down that hall. I'm cool. I'm cool. I'm cool and I know I'm cool. I'm accepted. I am now pop. I'm like the rest of everybody. I'm with it. I'm likable. Likeability. It has to do with a whole lot more than just what you wear, doesn't it? Everybody wants to be liked. Everybody wants to be likable, hopefully. I'm convinced that likability is more important than education or expertise or how much money you got in the bank. Being likable will help you uh, at school. It'll help you in business. Definitely help you in marriage and family. But most importantly, being likable will cause you to be a blessing 
to others, an effective soul winner, a, a dynamic witness for Jesus Christ. You'll stand out as a light in the darkness of this doggy dog world. I, I'm convinced that the greatest factor in soul winning is not some methodology, not some sales gimmick that uh, you fool or manipulate the unsaved into salvation. I'm convinced that the greatest factor in, in sharing Jesus with others is being likable, being friendly, being a people person. Now in this likability uh, issue, uh, who are we to be likable like? Who's our greatest example in being likable? Oprah Winfrey. Huh? Mr. Rogers in Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. The guy that won the election last November, President Donald Trump. Who's our example? Tell me his name. Luke 2.52, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. Now note it, and in favor with God and man. Was Jesus liked by everybody? No. Did Jesus want to be likable? Yes. Yes. Let's continue the word that we began last week by discovering what it means to be likable like Jesus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. I want to remember Sam Giordano and his family's circle. Gabriel, the son of Lena uh, Martoni, was in our service last hour, along with grandson Gabriel as well. Lena, a woman of God. I will miss her desperately. Uh, I loved preaching to Lena. There's nobody that could amen me like Lena Martoni. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we pray, oh God, for your comfort to be on the, on the family circle. Lord, of the Giordanos and the Martonis, the Di Tomasos, oh God. What a great woman of God that will be missed in Lena Martoni. Oh God, Lord, we give this word today in your name and in your honor, and for your glory. Lena was a great soul winner, who now, oh God, no longer walks by faith, but face to face with you. In the name of Jesus, speak to us, Holy Spirit, amen and amen. Being likable like Jesus means encouraging others. Are you an encourager? What does it mean to be an encourager? Encouragement should be genuine. It's the genuine article. Encouragement should be a sincere compliment. It should be a sincere way of building others up. It's looking for the honest, good, sincere trait in another and building them up in that measure. I ask you a question. I give you a quiz right now. I ask you as counselors and psychologists to diagnose my wife. Every time, and I've told you this for years, every time she wants me to take the, the garbage out, my wife says, Honey, 
Would you take the garbage out? Because I so love watching your muscles ripple as you lift up those garbage cans. And your hair, your wavy hair, blow in the breeze. Honey, would you take out the garbage? I've still been trying to figure out for years, is that a, a, a sincere compliment, encouragement, or flattery? The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore encourage one another and build each other up. Do you pray each and every day, Lord, send me somebody whose life I can make sweeter and better. Send me somebody that I can build up in their most holy faith or send me a sinner that I can speak a positive word to. Uh, Lord, that I, an encouraging word to. And Lord, make that a bridge into their heart so that I can share you, my Savior Jesus. Encouragement says you can keep on keeping on. Encouragement says you can make it. I believe in you. If God be for you, who can be against you? A pastor was walking down his neighborhood street for an evening stroll. As the sun was setting, he noticed, he noticed one of his Sunday school boys standing at a doorstep trying to ring a doorbell. But the, the little lad was still not tall enough to reach the doorbell. And, and the pastor came up and, to him and said, Hi, you know me, I'm your pastor, uh, uh, Billy, and, and I want you to know, Billy, that one day uh, you're going to grow up and be tall. You'll probably be taller than me. You're going to make it. Uh, I know it's frustrating right now, but one day uh, you're going to be a, a tall, fine young man. Here, and the pastor reached over his shoulder and gave the doorbell one big press and push. Then he looked at little Billy and said, Okay, what happens now? And Billy looked at his pastor and said, Now we run! Now we run! <laughs> Encouragement looks beyond actualities and looks for potentialities. Remember when Jesus met a rough fisherman for the first time? And Jesus looked him in the eye and said, Simon... Simon, thou art called Simon, son of John. But I say unto you, thou art Peter, which means the rock. Simon, you're rough and sandy Simon right now. But if you'll follow me, if you'll leave all behind, I will make you into a rock and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus was an encourager. He encouraged a man who went out on a limb, uh, literally Zacchaeus, a little shorty. And Jesus said, today, I'm going to have lunch with you. Let's do lunch. Jesus encouraged a Roman centurion and said to him, I have not found such a great faith in all the household of Israel. And Jesus brought a miracle to his home. Jesus was thirsty one day and sat down next to a despised half-breed Samaritan woman. And he said, give me a drink. Uh, and, and she said, uh, me, a despised Samaritan, give you a Jew 
a man, a drink? He said, yes, I'm thirsty. And he said, I'm here to give you water. I'm here to quench your thirst like this well can never quench. And she became the Billy Graham of her generation as he encouraged her in what she could be. Even though he said, you're a woman who's been married five times and the man you're living with right now is not your husband. Because of his encouragement, she became the Billy Graham of her generation and won her whole town to Jesus Christ. I mean, talk about the demon-possessed man with legion in him. Talk about... Uh, 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 the, the woman whose son, uh, uh, her only son died and Jesus interrupted the funeral and raised him from the dead time and time and time again. You will read how Jesus encouraged them, built them up, and then brought deliverance to their home. Jesus met people where they were and through encouragement built them up to where they could be in him. We, when I was growing up as a teenager at Parkdale Assembly of God in Livonia, Michigan, that my dad pastored, little church, Plymouth and Levan Road, there was a young Italian stallion that attended that church by the name of Rocky. And Rocky would come every so often to church, but at the same time, he was a lounge lizard. He played in the lounges. He sang and played the guitar. A singer in the lounge. And his heart was away from God. My dad, week in and week out, would encourage him, love him, not condemn him, but have compassion towards him. And I'll never forget... It was 5 o'clock in the morning. Somebody was knocking at our door. And my dad led Rocky Berra to the Lord, Jesus Christ, in our living room. And this morning, Rocky Berra is preaching at Connection Church, one of the biggest churches here in the state of Michigan, in Canton, Michigan. All through encouragement. Encouragement. Jesus looked beyond the actual and saw the potential. And you can too when the love of Jesus is compelling you. We live in a world desperate for encouragement. The most polluted sites, the greatest toxic sites are dysfunctional homes today, occupied by abusive parents, neglectful parents, and critical spouses. People are hungry for encouragement. Find something you can encourage people in. When you're in the presence of an encourager, you feel better about your circumstances. You feel better about your future. You especially feel better about yourself. But I have found that you can't be an encourager, Christian, when you're discouraged. You can't be an encourager of others. You can't lift others up if you yourself have fallen down in discouragement. A man went to the park to watch a Little League baseball game. Boys playing Little League baseball. He sat in the bleachers right next to the left field. Right next to the left fielder. 
And he asked the boy that was playing the left field position. He said, son, son, what's the score? And the boy said, oh, they got 18. We got nothing. And the man was impressed by how the the boy was uh, not, not discouraged, but was acting so confident. And, and uh, the man said to the boy out in left field, hey, you don't look uh, discouraged. You're losing 18 to 0, but you don't look uh, discouraged. Uh, the boy looked at him and said, uh, why should we be discouraged? Uh, we haven't come to bat yet. We haven't come to bat yet. Christian, you feel like you're losing at the game of life? You feel like the enemy is, is stomping all over you? You feel like the enemy is winning? Remember, your turn at bat is coming. Your turn at bat is coming. I mean, if circumstances are against you this morning, if you've been diagnosed with a dreadful disease, if you've received a bad report, if you've got a bad letter in the mail, if you've got a lawsuit against you, if things have gone topsy-turvy in your life, you need to take your stand in the name of Jesus. And when you take communion today, you need to remind old Slewfoot of the cross. You need to remind the devil that it is finished, <laughs> that the battle has been won, that he has shed his blood and risen from the dead and you can stand upon the promises of God which are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. If you feel like the enemy has been stomping on you, remember, your turn at bat is coming. You're going to pray in the name of Jesus. You're going to stand upon the promises of God and not just believe in them. You're going to confess them. You're going to name and claim them. You're going to lift up your hands and begin to praise the Lord that the battle is already won. Your turn at bat is coming. Hallelujah. On top of that, we've read the end of the book. Uh, it doesn't end in a whimper. It ends in a roar. We win. We're on the winning side. King of kings and Lord of lords. It might be morning. It might be noon. It might be evening. All I know is going to be soon when the eastern skies will unzip and he will descend from heaven with a shout, uh, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up in the air to be with him forever and ever more. Our turn at bat is coming and we win. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. You can't encourage others if you yourself are down in the mouth. Lift up your eyes and see him who's never lost a battle. He knows no defeat or retreat. If God be for us, who can be against us? Encouragement. This morning, when you receive communion, if you've been battling discouragement, receive His encouragement. You're on the winning side. You're coming up to bat in the name of Jesus. Be encouraged so that you can be an encourager. People were not only attracted to Jesus because he made them feel better about themselves, because he lifted them up to where they should be in him. People were also attracted to Jesus 
Get a hold of this. This is not popular preaching, but it's truth because of his integrity. His integrity. How many of you are involved in hiring? How many of you are involved in the selection process? Hmm? Interviewing. A boss was interviewing a young man, a millennial. We love the millennials. The boss said, if you're going to work here, young man, there's one thing you must learn we're very keen on. We're very clean on tidiness, neatness, cleanliness at this company. Did you wipe your feet on the mat, the welcome mat, when you came in this office this morning? The young man looked him in the eye and he said, Oh, yes, sir. Yes, I made sure. I made, see, I made sure that they were clean. The boss looked the young candidate, applicant in the eye and he said, Another thing we're very keen on here is truthfulness, honesty, integrity. I want you to know there is no welcome mat at this company, this office. Baya. <laughs> Ouch. Integrity, would you agree with me, is becoming a rare commodity these days. Did you see the recent article by Sports Illustrated? They did a survey of 198, 198 Olympic athletes. In the survey, they asked the athletes two questions. Question number one, you are offered a band performance-enhancing substance that has two guarantees with it. Number one, you won't be caught. Number two, you will win. Would you take the substance? Respondents to the survey said, 195 said yes. Three said no. Second question, you are offered a performance-enhancing substance with two guarantees. Number one, again, you will not be caught. Number two, you'll win every competition you enter for the next five years, but then you will die from the side effects. Would you take it? More than half responded yes. It's no wonder that in the midst of our moral meltdown in our culture, even the world admires those who hold to integrity. Integrity speaks of your character, your honesty, your authenticity. It speaks of your purity. It speaks of the fact that you're a person of your word. It means that you practice what you preach, that you walk the talk. There was no one that was more of integrity than our Jesus, even at his trial. Pilate, the Roman governor, said, I find no fault in the man. Now, what are you and I called to be? Paul the Apostle said this in 2 Corinthians. Paul the Apostle said, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. An ambassador is what? A representative you and I are called to be ambassadors or representatives of Jesus. People 
need to see Jesus at school. People need to see Jesus at work. People need to see Jesus in the neighborhood. People need to see Jesus in the community. Pastor, Jesus is in heaven. How can they see Jesus? They need to see Jesus in you. You're to be an incarnation of Jesus. Jesus being Jesus in you. His words out of your mouth. Uh, his actions out of your life. Jesus being Jesus in you. Not just his love, but also his integrity. Now the shepherd is going to do some meddling. It's not popular preaching, but it's truth. I ask you, how can you be a representative, an ambassador of Jesus Christ if you're listening to the latest dirty joke at work? You lose your temper and you spew forth a, a stream of obscenities and profanity. How can you be an ambassador of Jesus Christ if you're constantly heard criticizing, cutting down, demeaning, gossiping about others, and even complaining about your place of work or your teacher? How can you be an ambassador of the Most High God if you're getting drunk or getting high on legal or illegal substances? If you're stealing the company's time through your laziness, or literally stealing the company's tools. How can you be an ambassador of Jesus Christ if you're engaging in sex with someone that you're not married to? How can you be a representative of the grace giver if you're choosing to resent instead of release? Choosing to be bitter instead of better? Not only is God watching, but the world is watching you and I. I said the world is watching you and I. They long, the world longs for the genuine article in Christianity. They've had it up to here with counterfeit Christianity. I've had them come to me and say, why be a Christian preacher? I, I, I look at the, the Christians at work. I look at the Christians at school. There's no difference between them and the non-Christians. God help us. We are the only Bible the careless world will ever read. We are the sinner's gospel. We are the scoffer's creed. We are the Lord's last message given indeed and in word, what if the type is crooked and the print is blurred? Thirdly, this morning, you'll be likable like Jesus if you're compassionate. Compassionate towards others. Many of you have been aware that I've been struggling with my voice. It's been quite evident the last six months you've been praying with me, especially those closest to me. This last Thursday, finally, my doctor, after prescribing all kinds of medications, I've been on more pills. I could be a drugstore myself. And finally, he got me with a voice specialist, ENT doctor. My appointment was for 9 o'clock Thursday morning. Doctor didn't see me until 11 o'clock. I've had people yell at me if I just have them wait out in the hallway five minutes. 11 o'clock. 
I, in dealing with doctors, knowing that they want to see the, the bottom line, dealing with doctors, I typed up my symptoms. I typed up my problem. I gave the history. Typed it all up on a piece of paper. Gave it to the nurse. The doctor was supposed to read it. I asked him, have you read my medical history? Have you read my symptoms, my problems? He said, no, I don't have time for that. Uh, I said, well, I've got another copy for you right here. He said, I don't have time for that. He says, you've got nodules. Froze my throat, froze my nose, ran a camera down my throat. Yeah, you got nodules. But, but, but my allergies, uh, my wife had laryngitis just last month, but, but no, 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 I don't have time. Moved on. I am so glad that Dr. Jesus not only heals, but he feels. The great physician, the healer of hearts, is also the healer of minds and souls. He is compassionate. The Bible says in Matthew 14, 14, and when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. Do you see that there? Moved with compassion. The compassionate are the empathetic. They not only, they not only listen to us, they understand our feelings. It's what they teach us in counseling. Advanced, accurate, level, area empathy is when I crawl inside the counselee's skin and see the world through their eyes. I feel their heartbeat. I sense their circumstances. Jesus was those things and much more. Yet many times when we deal with the world, when we deal with the non-Christian, when we deal with the uh, unbeliever, we put on our holy handguns. We're, we're the Christian cowboy. We come up to the uh, uh, sinner. The wages of sin is death. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. <laughs> Revelations 20 verse 15. And those names that were not found in the book of life were cast into the lake of fire. <laughs> God must be proud of me. I gave them the word. No, you gave them condemnation. You gave them condemnation. What they need is the compassion of Jesus. The compassion of Jesus. The leper came to Jesus. Imagine, his body is literally melting. Falling piecemeal by piecemeal as he walks into a certain grave. The putrid smell of the leper was a stench that you could not even imagine as the flesh on his body was literally decomposing before his eyes. To be in the presence of a leper caused you, especially if you had contact, to be ceremoniously 
defiled and unclean in the eye of the Jew, the Levitical law. Yet a leper came to Jesus and said, If you are willing, you can make me whole. He did not question the power of God. He questioned the love of Jesus. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus said, first of all, he put out his hand. He could have spoken a word. He could have just waved his hand. But what does the Bible say? Jesus put out his hand and what? I believe that the touch of Jesus meant more to that leper than the healing of Jesus. He put out his hand because the desperate need was terrible insecurity, terrible fear, terrible low self-esteem. Jesus reached out and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed and he was made whole over and over and over again in the gospels jesus had compassion on the blind jesus had compassion upon the sick jesus had compassion upon the demon possessed and he not only healed them he felt he felt with their need compassion it's being other centered it's taking time to listen it's being patient. It's seeking to understand. It's seeking to meet the need of the other versus yourself. Isaiah 53 declares Jesus as a man of sorrows, acquainted with what? Do you have a grief here this morning? Jesus knows all about it. Have you been carrying a hurt? Jesus knows all about it. No one understands like Jesus. Acquainted with grief. Now note this next portion. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Jesus is more than a good psychologist. Jesus is more than a good counselor. Jesus doesn't just feel. Jesus heals. How do I know? Matthew chapter 8 again. Go to Matthew 8, and he cast out the spirits with a word. He healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, the prophecy we just read. He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And verse 5 declares... In Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was laid upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Love is more than what we say. Love is more than what we feel. Jesus' compassion led to Jesus' action to health, healing. The miraculous. I want to remind you, Jesus didn't say I was hungry and you felt sorry for me. He didn't say I, I was naked and you felt shame for me. He didn't say I was in prison and you were embarrassed for me. He didn't say I was sick and you were sympathetic with me. Jesus said, I was hungry and you fed me. Thirsty and you gave me to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick and in prison, 
and you visited me. For Jesus, now get a hold of this, real compassion is measured not by what you feel or by what you say, but by what you do. Do. That's why your pastor purposely positions this church to address the poor, the needy, the hurting. Every week, we have a ministry called Impact that goes out and, and touches needy families, needy individuals of Macomb County, but we purposely put on the calendar opportunities for you to touch the hurting of Macomb County. August the 20th, our big give, where we bless families in Macomb County with back-to-school supplies. Legitimate, needy families. We are striving for more than 50 families to fill this house. I'll preach them the gospel, but then we're going to give them over to you to bless for the remainder of the evening, not just with back-to-school supplies. Most of those families, you know what they need? They need your time, your love. They need dignity. They don't need you hanging around with your lakeside friends. They need you hanging around with them, having contact with them, letting them know that they are special, being an encourager to them. Every time we do the back-to-school big give or any other big give, you know what our problem is? Our problem isn't having people sign up to be, you know, registration workers. Our problem isn't donations. Our problem is people that want to escort those needy families around the church and hang out with them the whole evening. Letting Jesus be Jesus in them. Pray about it. Think about it. Would you let Jesus be Jesus in you? Will you be likable like Jesus? We give you an opportunity because being compassionate is more than saying amen to the preacher. Being compassionate is more than what you feel or what you say. Being compassionate, real love, is what you do. Pastor, let's be frank. Pastor, there's times I just don't feel compassionate. I don't feel like, uh, like Mr. or Miss Encourager. I don't feel joyful. I, I don't feel God confident. Uh, Pastor, there's just sometimes uh, I, I don't feel like a person of integrity. It's just not there. How can I be likable like Jesus? Write it down. To be a blessing to others, a witness for our Lord, and bring glory to God, you must have the Jesus anointing. You must have the Jesus anointing. When you have the Jesus anointing, you are positioning yourself for God to set your agenda. When you have the Jesus anointing, He sets your appointment book. I, I, I woke up, I believe it was Wednesday morning, and I went to prayer and I said, Lord, set my agenda today. Lord, I, I know that most of the day I'll be in the church office, but somehow, Lord, uh, set my way somebody that I can share the gospel with. Watch out when you pray those kind of prayers. 
Watch out when you pray for the Holy Spirit to set your appointment book. I'm typing away at my computer getting ready to preach on Wednesday night, and I look out my window. There had to be more than 20 young adults standing in a circle around the tree right outside my office window right here in our parking lot. And I'm, what is going on? I'm freaking out here. And so I asked, you know, the geeks in my office, the computer people in my office, all these young adults all had their cell phones out, and they're all just focused on their cell phones. And then more people came. More cars drove up. And they said, well, Pastor, that's a Pokemon hotspot right outside your office window. And all of a sudden, the Lord brought back to my mind what I prayed that morning. And I said, praise the Lord. I walked out there and I said, have you found, if you found your Pokemon hotspot, have you found Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you know God? <laughs> Probably thought I was crazy. Look out when you walk in the Jesus anointing. It is the most adventurous lifestyle that you can ever have. The Holy Spirit directs your path. The Holy Spirit puts souls and people in front of you that you can be an encourager to. You can be compassionate with. You can be a person of integrity with. You can be a bridge for them to find Jesus, to be Jesus in them. But there's more here. Because there's days you and I walk, we wake up, and, and uh, man, we don't even like ourselves, let alone like other people. Huh? That's why you need the Jesus anointing. Jesus walked in the Jesus anointing. Luke 4, 18. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. That's the Jesus anointing. You can walk in the same anointing that Jesus had upon him. We cannot do God's work without God's power. The third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. For it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my Spirit. Saith the Lord. Saith the Lord. Hallelujah. As Cindy comes to the keyboard this morning, we're ready for Holy Communion. How do you see people? How do you look at people? How do you treat people? Do you see people as Jesus sees people? Jesus refused to focus on the veneer, the outward. Man looks on the outward, but God sees the heart. Jesus did not see them as smart, smug, or sophisticated. Jesus did not see them as rejects, outcasts or losers Jesus saw them as lost souls used and abused by the enemy a minister I know 
His sister was the director of a child care center. Not like our preschool here or daycare. It was a child care center of the county for the neglected, the used, the abused children of that locale. She was giving him a tour that day, he writes. And then he heard the cry. It was the most hideous cry of your nightmares. She brought him into a room where a child had just been brought in. And here was a one-year-old baby boy in the crib. He was covered from head to foot with cigarette burns from cigarette butts. And someone had taken a felt pen and had written obscenities all over the child. The baby, the little boy, was screaming like a lost soul. And that dear sister, the director of the center, she scooped him up, embraced him to her bosom, and the screaming turned into that baby cooing, cooing, responding like a sponge to water, responding to her love, her TLC. That abused baby boy reminds me of our world. Our world, our world has been abused, used and abused by the enemy of our souls, Satan and sin. Jesus died upon the cross for a lost world. Let us never forget this. If you were to have an appointment with God the Father right now, and you were to ask God, what is the uppermost thing upon your heart, God? He would say unto you, my children, my lost children, bring them back to me. I have commissioned you. I have called you. You are my hands extended. You are my voice. I've given the responsibility to you. That's why my favorite chorus is Jesus. Be Jesus in me. Most of us, so many of us, we live with the mantra, me, 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 instead of Jesus, be Jesus in me. And I'll admit, I'm not always patient. Ask my wife. I'm not always loving. I'm not always joyful, compassionate. That's why I need an infusion of the Holy Spirit's power and life within me, and so do you, on a daily basis. Uh, I need the Jesus anointing. Jesus be Jesus in me, so that I can be likable like Jesus. Father, 
in the name which is above every other name, we pray this morning. We humble our hearts before you. And Lord, we pray, come Holy Spirit, restore, infuse us with the love, <laughs> the joy, the peace, the faith of our Jesus. Help us to love people like him. And Lord, I pray even right now, if there are those here this morning that are not right with you, Lord, if there are those here this morning that their sins have not yet been washed away, Lord, they want a clean slate. They want joy in the here and now. And Lord, they want a home in, in heaven forevermore. If there are those here this morning, come Holy Spirit and knock upon their heart's doors. As every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I'm going to pray a prayer, a prayer of salvation. It's a prayer that will make you right with God. It's a prayer that will give you a home in heaven. It's a prayer that will give you a new road to walk upon. Your life will be changed forevermore as you live out this prayer. How many are here this morning? Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. You're not sure that you're right with God. You're not sure that heaven is your home. But you want to be sure and you want to be included in this prayer that I will pray. Would you just lift up your hand right now? I want to make sure that everyone is able to partake of Holy Communion. If you want to be included in this prayer, just lift up your hand right now. Right now. I don't want anyone to be left out. Pastor, I want to be included in your prayer. I want to be right with God. I want to know that heaven is my home. I want to know that Jesus is my Savior. Just lift it up high that I can see it. How many here this morning? Precious Jesus. Precious Jesus. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you, buddy. I see that hand. God bless you. How many more here this morning? Precious Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Hallelujah. Precious Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Precious Jesus. Precious Jesus. Hallelujah. If you have your hand lifted up, keep it up this morning. Pray this prayer with me. Everyone pray this prayer with me right now. Everyone pray this prayer with me right now. And for you that lifted up your hands, I want you to own this prayer. I want you to own it even right now in the name of Jesus. Make this prayer your prayer. Dear Jesus, I come to you right now just as I am. I confess I've sinned. I'm a sinner. But Jesus, you're my Savior. I believe you paid the price for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead with resurrection life. I want that life, Jesus. A new life. I want you, Jesus, to be alive in me. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me, for changing me. I thank you, Jesus, that I am saved. In the name of Jesus, amen.